Tonight, a teenage rising star from Toronto gunned down in Surrey. And now an urgent plea from police. Plus, what friends of Ivan Young cycling, killed cycling on Christmas Day are now saying about him. And... For love of the game, the annual road hockey tradition that shows no signs of stopping 50 years later. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We are learning more tonight about a Toronto teenager who was found shot to death in a Surrey home earlier this week. Homicide investigators today made an urgent plea for any information to help solve this rapper's sudden and shocking death. Julia Foy has the latest, including a tragic coincidence back in Toronto. The mystery continues into how 18-year-old Toronto rapper Y.S., with a career that appeared to have been rising in the hip-hop music ranks, ended up being shot to death in this rental home on a busy street in South Surrey on December 23rd. His real name was Keyshawn Brown. And we're just trying to establish what Mr. Brown was doing in BC. We have established that he is from Ontario. Uh, We really don't know how long he has been out here. The murder was discovered after a neighbour noticed something was wrong at the house. From work at 8.30 and the door was wide open and there was no cars in the driveway. And you went inside the house? And what did you see? I don't want to talk about it, okay? Okay. I'm very, very sorry. I'm just trying to get the visuals out of my head. The integrated homicide investigation team is trying to calm fears in the community. This one appears to be an isolated event and that Mr. Brown uh, was targeted and it was contained inside that residence. Why do you think he was targeted? That is something that investigators are trying to work out, but at this stage, uh, they feel that the suspect and victim were likely known to each other. Brown's murder came just hours before another Toronto rapper, 24-year-old Jakar Stewart, also known as Bully, was gunned down in Oshawa. The victim uh, might have been visiting the area. I'm not, uh, I'm not positive on that, but the information I'm getting is he might be visiting. IHIT says there's no reason to connect the two killings at this time. I'm not aware of any link between the two murders, uh, and I know that our investigators have been in contact with agencies in Ontario. Anyone with information about why Keyshawn Brown was in Metro Vancouver is asked to call IHIT. Julia Foy, Global News. Friends of a Vancouver cyclist are in mourning after he was killed in a Christmas Day accident in West Vancouver. Ivan Young is being remembered as an experienced and safe cyclist. Police say he collided with a vehicle on Cypress Bowl Road just past the popular lookout. The occupants of the vehicle stayed at the scene and are cooperating with the investigation. In a statement, friends say on Wednesday, Young had set off to do his favorite ride up to Cypress Mountain, a journey he had completed hundreds of times. He was 46 years old. A 10-year-old girl from West Vancouver has died after suffering a medical emergency on board a flight in the U.S. this week. The Los Angeles coroner's office says Janice Zhu died Thursday evening. She was flying from L.A. to Seattle on board a Delta Airlines flight. The Los Angeles Fire Department says paramedics responded and furiously worked to save her life, but all efforts failed. The coroner says an investigation is underway to confirm the cause of her death. 
A highway's maintenance worker contracted for the Golden Ears Bridge was injured on the job on Friday. He was struck while on a ramp. And now, as Nadia Stewart reports, WorkSafe BC is investigating. The call came in to Ridge Meadows RCMP just before 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon. A maintenance worker was hit by a Jeep SUV while working on the Golden Ears Bridge. The victim suffered serious injuries and was taken to hospital by paramedics. WorkSafe BC confirms they were notified Friday afternoon about the incident on the bridge involving the maintenance worker. They have launched an investigation. WorkSafe tells Global News the focus of their investigation will be to identify the cause of the incident, including any contributing factors so they can prevent similar incidents from happening in the future. RCMP had the on-ramp closed and one southbound lane blocked while they conducted their investigation. It is not clear whether the driver will face any charges. Nadia Stewart, Global News. A traffic enforcement officer in Burnaby nabbed a driver going 105 kilometers an hour in a 50 zone. RCMP added the motorist was also driving distracted. The driver was slapped with several violation tickets and the car was impounded for seven days. Speed was not an issue for BC Ferries today. A lot of travelers were left waiting. A mechanical issue forced the cancellation of at least two sailings of the Queen of Alberni between Tawasson and Duke Point and Nanaimo. The 1045 sailing from Tawasson and the 1245 sailing out of Duke Point were both canceled and the 315 was 45 minutes late. BC Ferries says the issue was traced back to the vessel's main engine fuel pump. Cleanup continues after a freight train derailed in Fraser Fort George near the BC Alberta border early Thursday morning. 26 cars of the CN train carrying potash jumped the tracks. Two of the cars landed in Moose Lake, spilling up to 20 tons of potash. The rail company is assessing any possible environmental impact of the spill. Uh, The north and southbound tracks were reopened to rail traffic today. Kelowna is scrambling to open more beds and shelters for the homeless as the bill to maintain two tent city camps climbs to $100,000. And as Darian Matassa-Fung reports, the city has no plans to shut down the park campsites anytime soon. The new bridge housing facility located at 555 Fuller Avenue has been open for around two weeks. The wet facility's goal is to help people transition from overnight shelters to more permanent social housing. While neighboring residents have had mixed reactions to it, most are very accommodating. Uh, It's been uh, pretty tame. Nothing's really changed. Um, Anybody I know who lives around here too hasn't even said anything about there's no difference. There's been a lot of um, lot more activity around here. There's our garbage cans. Whenever we put them out, there's people walking up to them and going through them and just leaving garbage around. It's been pretty, pretty much just dirtier. There's been no new, new activity. Um, we've had no troubles with anybody. Haven't actually haven't seen anybody. Yeah, it's been business as usual. Keith Martin opened his bar, Flask Social House, five years ago. It's a block down from the facility, and he says he hasn't had any problems. Have you noticed any like more activity since the opening of that of that facility? You know what? I can't say that I have. I honestly, other than the normal, you know, uh, people taking their bottles in down on St. Paul, there, uh, yeah, I, I haven't noticed anything else. 
The city says Recreation Park is no longer sustainable and has removed most of the services there, such as warming tents and storage containers. Luckily, we had the Fuller Avenue Bridge housing open. That's 40, 40 spaces for people. And the Gospel Mission and um, Cornerstone have opened up a MAP program. So that's another 26 position, you know, spaces for people. The city has said the total operational cost for the two park sites so far is approximately $100,000. As for when the tent city will close, we're going to be keeping them open for the foreseeable future. The city says until they have complete confidence that the parks are not needed, they will remain in place. Darian Matasafun, Global News, Kelowna. The owner of a Vancouver home worth about $27 million will get another chance to fight the city's empty homes tax. The owner of the property on 4749 Belmont Avenue in West Point Grey won the latest round of a court battle with the city. The B.C. Supreme Court had ruled the city should undertake a new review of whether the tax should be levied against the property. Here's why. The owner says that she's been waiting for redevelopment permits to build a new home on the site but has run into issues. The empty homes tax bylaw requires homeowners to prove their homes are occupied for at least six months of the year. Otherwise, they're charged an additional 1% tax on the assessed value, which goes up to 1.25%. On January 1st, a class action lawsuit involving the University of Victoria has been given the green light. It's about a wage freeze employees say breaches their contract. A B.C. Supreme Court ruling threw out a non-union worker's application to certify the lawsuit as a class action. But the B.C. Court of Appeal has now overturned that, saying the judge misunderstood some of the suit's claims. Suits claims rather. The lawsuit argues the university wrongly forced a wage freeze on employees after BC's finance ministry announced in 2012 the public sector management salaries should be frozen. It's a Christmas time tradition that began a half a century ago, a simple road hockey game between the neighborhood kids. Well, over the years, it has changed and grown. And as Jill Bennett reports, 50 years later, the players may have some gray hair, but they still have game too. It's a game that has lasted longer than most marriages. Today is a celebration of uh, 50 years. Cam Irvine was just eight when the first game was played in the late 60s. Started when the kids were sent outside to play while Christmas dinner was being made inside. It's something unique and a, and a really good story and I think it's something important that, that we need to share. Over the years, the game grew, as did the boys playing. It moved to a school parking lot, then to a tennis court and now happens here every year in a lacrosse box on the Coquitlam-Port Moody border. Now sons and daughters and kids that know that we're going to be here, they come out and play with us, fulfilling this everlasting dream of uh, getting together once a year. It was before we had cell phones and, and video games, so it was important to play sports. So whether it was street hockey or soccer or baseball, we'd get together. And uh, this is something that we've been able to continue for many years. So it's a nice tradition. Go, 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 go. Have a go. It's also a way for the group to stay connected. Some players have made it to every game. Others have only missed a handful during the five decades. And there is even some star power on the sidelines. Someone who knows a thing or two about hockey. I have some buddies from growing up and uh, once in a while we get together. So I think this is great. Uh, and that's why I wanted to come out and see what the, what the hell's going on. You know, the guys have been going on for 50 years. It's unbelievable. There are more aches and pains for some of the players, and some of the moves might seem slower, but the diehard fans have that covered. 
Well, we're wondering if we should get some defibrillators and uh, if we should update our CPR because, you know, our husbands are getting older. No matter, everyone here just wants to play. The game is now always held on the first Saturday following Christmas. The next one, starting out another 50 years. Jill Bennett, Global News. We're learning more about that deadly chopper crash in Hawaii, including who was on board and what may have been the cause. And now new questions about the safety of helicopter tours. Tonight, authorities identifying the pilot and two passengers aboard the safari tour helicopter. 69-year-old Paul Matero of Wailua, Hawaii, was the pilot. On board, 47-year-old Amy Gannon and her daughter, 13-year-old Jocelyn, from Wisconsin. The four other passengers are believed to be a family from Switzerland who've not yet been named. We are grieving alongside these families. It's unclear what caused the crash, but weather will likely be one focus of the investigation. That area up there is known for having beautiful, sunny days, and that can change within a matter of an hour or half an hour. Aerial tours are hugely popular on Kauai, the backdrop for the film Jurassic Park. Visitors with reservations for safari chopper tours arrive Saturday morning to find the doors locked. We were a little apprehensive, you know, just from what happened a couple days ago. Private chopper tours are regulated by the FAA, but experts say not as stringently as commercial airliners. One of the things that the investigators will be looking at, of course, is pilot experience. They're going to be looking at the training that the company provides them. NTSB records show there have been 18 civilian helicopter crashes in Hawaii since 2015. Hawaii Congressman Ed Case calling for more regulation, tweeting, tour helicopter and small aircraft operations are not safe and innocent lives are paying the price. Tonight, the grief on this tiny island extending far beyond its shores. One person managed to survive a plane crash in Lafayette, Louisiana that killed five other people. The plane went down near a post office in Walmart. The store was evacuated as a precaution. Three people on the ground were injured and taken to hospital. The aircraft was an eight-passenger plane. A truck bombing has killed at least 79 people in the capital of Somalia. It happened in Mogadishu during rush hour as residents returned to work and school after the weekend. Investigators say a vehicle full of explosives detonated at a checkpoint after police blocked it from entering the city. Most of the dead are said to be university students and police officers. More than 125 others were wounded. Global Affairs Canada says it's unaware of any Canadians affected. There is no claim of responsibility, but Somalia's president blames the al-Qaeda-linked al-Shabaab extremist group. It's the worst attack in the capital in more than two years. A Toronto woman is being remembered as an outspoken advocate for trans rights. 51-year-old Julie Berman died last weekend after being assaulted at her downtown home. Pride Toronto says Berman worked tirelessly to raise awareness of the increasing rates of trans, anti-trans violence in the city. Mayor John Tory is also releasing a statement on her death, calling it a devastating tragedy for the LGBTQ2 plus community. Those who knew her say she and her mission will never be forgotten. Trans lives and Julie's lives, where they're traumatic, they're dramatic, and they're full of transphobia and violence. But what we do know is that through this, we'll come together, we'll heal, and we'll move forward because we will overcome, we'll be resistant, and in that in itself, act is a revolutionary act. And so to Julie, there's this, this is for you. 29-year-old Colin Harnack has been arrested in connection to Berman's death and has been charged with second-degree murder.
A Thai Navy SEAL who took part in that dramatic cave rescue last year has now died. The petty officer was part of the team that helped rescue 12 boys and their soccer coach from a flooded cave. He died of a blood infection he contracted during the risky operation. He's the second Navy diver who's lost his life in the rescue. The group was trapped for two weeks before they were safely retrieved. The police chief of a Mexican border town has been arrested in connection with the massacre of a Mormon family last month. He's the fourth person to be arrested on suspicion of participating in the murders of three women and six children, members of a Mormon community in northern Mexico. The victims, dual citizens of Mexico and the U.S., were traveling on a remote country road when they were attacked by gunmen believed to be members of an organized crime group. New fears in Australia as a new heat wave alert threatens to make deadly bushfires even worse. Almost 1,300 firefighters were in the field Friday preparing for more high temperatures and dry winds. That could further intensify the raging bushfires. In southern Australia, authorities are advising residents to evacuate early with scorching temperatures set to hit 41 degrees in Melbourne. For the past two months, the bush bushfires have been burning out of control across the country. Nine people have died so far and nearly 800 homes have been destroyed. Fears are mounting over the koala population in Australia. A cyclist approached by a dehydrated and disoriented koala here. The cyclist was traveling with her friends when she saw the animal in the middle of the road. It hurried over to her and eagerly drank from her water bottle. Experts fear thousands of koalas have been killed in the bushfires. More than a quarter million people have signed a petition calling for Sydney's New Year's Eve fireworks to be canceled. They say the $5 million spent to stage the fireworks should instead be going to communicate communities devastated by the bushfires. A city official says it's too late for that to happen. The fireworks have been planned for 15 months and they will go ahead. Some Canadians are ending the decade with our country's highest honour. The Governor-General has appointed 120 people to the Order of Canada. The list includes former Prime Minister Stephen Harper, Nobel Prize-winning physicist Donna Strickland and Director James Cameron. Thirteen recipients are from B.C., including business leader and autism advocate Wendy Lisogar-Kokia and former Olympian and pioneer for women in sport, Diane Clement. Congratulations to them all. Well, Britain is trying to explain a data breach involving recipients of its New Year's honors list. The home addresses of celebrities like Elton John and Olivia Newton-John were accidentally posted online. The two celebrities are among those recipients whose works, is, works are recognized by the British government. The data breach involves more than a thousand high-profile people. In Health Matters tonight, the latest research shows regular exercise can help prevent some cancers. The most recent guidelines recommend two and a half to five hours of moderate activity a week or one to two hours a week of vigorous activity. The study found people who met those goals had a significantly lower risk of developing seven types of cancer. Those included colon cancer in men, breast cancer in women, myeloma, non-Hodgkin lymphoma, as well as endometrial, kidney, and liver cancers. And one dose of the HPV vaccine could be enough to protect against all potential can 
cancers that are caused by the virus. Researchers from the University of Texas tracked more than 1,600 young women who received the vaccine. They found a single dose was as effective as the currently recommended two to three series of doses. While experts say it's still too soon to change the protocol, they hope it could improve vaccination rates. HBV has been linked to 90% of all cervical and 70% of all oral cancers. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex are trademarking their brand. Harry and Meghan have filed to register the name of their charitable foundation, Sussex Royal, with the Intellectual Property Office in the UK. The royal couple set up their own foundation earlier this year from, after splitting from the royal foundation that they had shared with Harry's older brother, Prince William, and his wife, Catherine. The trademark application covers a wide range of goods and services, from books and clothing to educational and charitable campaigns. The application was submitted in June and published last week. Bizarre winter weather in Southern California strands an Emmy Award-winning actress until she gets some unexpected help through Twitter. We're going to have that story for you right after we get our own forecast from Yvonne. And uh, I noticed it was a little bit dreary out there today. Yeah, a little soggy. We're still tracking some wet weather this evening. It is starting to clear a bit from the west and we will still see a chance of showers as we look ahead towards Sunday and I'll have more in just a moment. So it is wet out there. Temperatures are sitting at six degrees reporting the rainfall of the airport. We've got a northeasterly wind at 19 kilometers per hour. Temperatures today bumped up to six. That was the high. We're right where we should be and on the Almanac 12 degrees was a record and that was set back in 2011. I glance at a few other spots across Across the province today, two for Kamloops, minus one for Trail. Kelowna getting up to the freezing mark in areas near Victoria today, topping out at seven. Here's what we are still looking at. So some moisture across the south coast falling as light rain or a chance of showers. The interior will still see a, light, a few light flurries, higher elevations if you're traveling along the mountain passes. And then the next weather maker is going to push in. It'll be rain and heavy at times. Most areas for the south coast tomorrow, it is just a chance of showers. And then that next system that is going to push in, it'll be Late in the day on Monday and looking ahead towards Tuesday. Little in terms of rainfall amounts as we take a look. The North Shore potentially by tomorrow afternoon just up to 5 millimetres. And the Sea to Sky as well as the Rogers Pass 2 and up to 4 centimetres tonight. Easing off to flurries and most areas along the Coquihalla as well as the Kootenay Pass. Just seeing flurries this evening and then much drier if you are commuting for tomorrow. The Peace, a partly cloudy sky. Temperatures will be up to the freezing mark well above the average. It sits closer to minus 8. Over the next three days, it should remain dry for the northeastern corners of the province. Whitehorse, it's chilly overnight, wind chill at minus 9. For the day tomorrow, the winds are going to pick up southerly, up to 30 kilometers per hour, and then Monday, Tuesday with plenty of sunshine. Northern half of the province, a few systems moving in, very wet and windy for Monday and continuing for Tuesday. And that next system that is going to move in for tomorrow is going to push in across the southern half of the province, and it'll be late in the day on Monday. Caribou and Central Interior, Wind chill at minus 8, a few flurries popping up and light snowfall for Tuesday. Columbia and Kootenay will start to see a clearing on the way for tomorrow afternoon. It'll just be in between systems and then it picks up once again on Monday night. Most areas for the Thompson Okanagan, a mainly cloudy skies, a few flurries still overnight but much drier come the morning hours. And then that snow is going to push in Monday and for New Year's Eve. So a heads up, it's going to be chilly and rain mixed with snow. And most spots near Whistler, wind chill overnight at minus 3.
By tomorrow morning, just a few isolated flurries, much drier for the afternoon. We'll still see cloud cover over the next few days. And then the next round of moisture is going to move in Monday and Tuesday. It could be rain mixed with snow. Across the island, it'll clear out just in between systems. So by the afternoon, drier, but still seeing that cloud cover. Five-day forecast across Metro Vancouver. It is going to be quite soggy over the next few days, but it's really Monday and then leading in towards Tuesday, especially late in the day that the next system that pushes in with very heavy rain. So by the day on Monday, it'll just be on and off showers. And so far, it's still a few days out, but New Year's Eve and into our New Year's Day for 2020, it's going to be a wet one, a soggy one, but temperatures up to nine. Colleen? All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Well, a powerful winter storm is on the move today, bringing snow and ice to millions south of the border. But what's particularly disturbing is that many southern regions are being hit with uh, freezing temperatures, while parts of the Midwest are unseasonably warm. Winter weather causing chaos across the country. In Lubbock County, Texas, a foggy Highway 84 is back open after a multi-car pileup. A news crew caught the scramble as officials ran from a crashing semi. The wreck sending two to the hospital with minor injuries. The low visibility and coming off that overpass just made it hard for folks to see. In southern Wyoming, a train jumped the snowy tracks, derailing nearly two dozen cars. And the snowstorm didn't help holiday travelers headed home in Southern California. With some places getting nearly two feet of snow, authorities shut down interstates, stranding drivers for hours. Due to icy conditions, vehicles were stuck. Big rigs were getting stuck out there. But not everyone out west is upset about this rare holiday snow. It's awesome. It kept piling up in Strawberry, Arizona, getting close to 10 inches. And in Chicago, another unusual weather event, climbing temperatures in December. Residents enjoying the winter warm-up, jet skiing in Lake Michigan. Okay, and that rather weird weather has an Emmy Award-winning actress thanking a California couple for coming to her aid when she became stranded. Stephen Porfiri and Kate Brogdon were heading to sleep Thursday night when they saw a tweet asking for help. Actress Rachel Bloom, best known for her role in the CW show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, tweeted a request asking if anyone had a place to stay in Bakersfield. Road closures due to heavy snow had forced the pregnant actress and her husband to consider spending the night in their car. Well, Stephen and Kate quickly responded, opening up their home to Bloom and her husband. Bloom later posted to social media, calling the couple's actions a true Christmas miracle. It was a no room in the inn situation. They were about to like go to sleep in their car in a Denny's parking lot. I tweeted and just said like, hey, we have a room. Like there's cats and dogs and pie and bagels and come on down. I'm just glad that we were there because I mean, it's so scary to have to sleep in your car, especially, like, anybody, whether or not it's yeah. a, a beloved television personality. Like, nobody should have to yeah. sleep in their car when it's 30 degrees yeah. outside. So Twitter isn't all evil. I think that's the message here. And it's a great idea for a new TV movie of the week. Right? Yes. Writes itself. True stories based on a true story. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, Barry. Yes, good to be here. A uh, bit of a sad story for uh, Canada's World oh. Junior team today. You know, there's going to be losses. All the teams are good at the World Juniors these days. But the way Canada lost to Russia today, actually their worst loss as far as goal margin ever in the history of the tournament. And that tournament goes back to the uh, mid-70s. So 
we'll have the uh, the low lights, I guess we'll call it of that coming up, but it's not the end of the world. If this happens in the metal round, yes, it's the end of the world. But, you know, if you're going to lose one, lose it good. Get that out of the way. Go, Bad go karma. big or go home. They, they went big. They might go home. They don't want to go home too soon. <laughs> no, they don't. All right. Thanks, Bear. Yeah, I don't think today's uh, Canada-Russia game was going to make the place of the year next year. Yeah, kind year. of the blooper. More like Maybe. the blooper reel for us. But <laughs> still, still time to recover. All right. Uh, thanks, Colleen. After a uh, stirring 6-4 comeback win against the USA in their opener, hopes were high that this Canadian team was something special and was a contender for gold at the 2020 World Juniors. But after today's disastrous 6-0 loss at the hands of the Russians, we're not quite sure what this team is. Sure, if you're going to lose, best do it now when there's some margin for error. But Canada got pasted and were never in this one from the start. Nolan Foote from the Kelowna Rockets scored in the opening win versus the U.S., but no one scored for Canada today. Less than two minutes in, Alexander Kovanov, long shot, gives Nico Dawes all sorts of trouble. That was a bad sign of things to come. Canada was just sleeping in this one. Papal Dorofeyev wide open in front. Nice skill move here to stick it past Dawes. 2-0 for the Russians. And then three minutes later, point shot stop, but a big rebound for Nikita Ratishev. Backhands at home. 13 minutes in, it's 3-0 Russia on just 11 shots. And it got from bad to worse in the second. Canada on the power play. Alexi Lafreniere, their star player, driving the net. Watch his left leg. It is going to collapse, and he injured his knee. Apparently, it's not as bad as it looked, but they're still doing testing. Not sure if he's going to return in this tournament for Canada, and that would be a huge loss. And then to add insult to that key injury, Nikita Alexandrov with a pretty one. 6-0 the final. Worst World Junior loss ever for Canada. But all five teams in their pool are tied at 1-1, one and one, so things are still up for grabs. Next up, Germany. Uh, Monday at 6 a.m. our time. Meanwhile, Sweden and Switzerland, Canucks second rounder Nils Hoglander scored a ridiculous lacrosse goal the other day in his World Junior opener. He scores regular goals too, deflects the point shot. Could be another dynamic Swede to join the Canucks in the near future. Hoglander also had an assist, 5-2 Sweden wins. Remarkably, Sweden has won 50-5-0 straight round-robin games at the World Junior. They have just one gold medal to show for it, but they look strong again. Now, Spengler Cup from Switzerland. Canada taking on host Davos. Always a great atmosphere at this tournament. Canada won its opener against a Czech club team, and they were dominant again today. Andrew McDonald gets Canada on the board with a point blast. They led 2-0 after one. Second period, a couple of uh, ex-NHLers. Daniel Winnick sets up Eric Fair. 3-0 Canada. And then another pretty one, Christopher Stieg won a cup with the Blackhawks to Kevin Clark. Great stick handle, then sticks it top shelf. Canada cruises past Davos 5-1. So Canada at 2-0 advances to the semis on Monday. Well, the Canucks will try to run their win streak to four tonight when they host the L.A. Kings at Rogers Arena. A Vancouver win would pull them even with the struggling Oilers. And depending what help, uh, happens elsewhere tonight, the Canucks could be in a playoff spot at night's end. But such a long way to go. They enter the second half of the season refreshed after a three-day break and look forward to keeping that momentum going. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it was good. I think um, not a lot of guys needed rest. A lot of guys were playing a lot of minutes. And and getting a lot of uh, opportunity, but I think, you know, to give our minds a rest a little bit, but it, 
hopefully we can carry on the good things or the, the good times we've got going right now because um, it's always, always a lot more fun winning. All right, NHL tonight, Avalanche and Stars, Dallas beginning the night, just two points up on the Canucks, second period tied at one, nice play by Ian Cole to glove it down and then scores five hole on Ben Bishop, second of the year for Cole, 2-1 Colorado, but Dallas ties it on the power play, Denis Gurionov with the one-timer off a Colorado defenseman and in 2-2 late third, so it looks like it could be a three-point game, which the Canucks do not like. Meanwhile, Habs and Lightning, Canadians leading Tampa by two points in the Atlantic. The Habs, 7-3 in their last 10. Second period, Steven Stamkos fires wide, but then taps in his own rebound off the backboards past Carey Price. Career point number 800 for Stamkos ties it 2-2. Habs had the first 18 shots on goal in this game, but Tampa roared back. Montreal gets one back here. Ben Sherratt off the Brendan Gallagher rebound, made it 4-3. But then early third, Anthony Sorelli will regain the two-goal lead. It's 5-3 Tampa midway through the third. Meanwhile, we've got some Leafs and Rangers. Toronto on a six-game win streak. But Brian Strom will fire this one past Freddie Anderson. 3-1 Rangers at that point. Toronto gets it back. Austin Matthews leans into that one. The puck coming straight out to him, but the Rangers... Uh, do lead this one. It's 4-2 right now in the third. Welcome back. The NFC West title is on the line tomorrow night in Seattle. It's pretty simple. Whoever wins the game takes the division and a home playoff date. The loser becomes a wild card team and will have to start the playoffs on the road. Of course, the Seahawks have lost their top three running backs for the season due to injury over the last three weeks, and that means Marshawn Lynch is back. Who knows how good or bad he'll be. He has not played an NFL game in a year and a half. One thing's for sure, our beast mode, Chanel, breaks it all down in the red zone. The 49ers didn't play their best, but did get the job done last week. The defense did record an interception, but got burned for 323 passing yards. Now the Hawks will try to take advantage of that, but the 49ers passing defense, number one in the NFL. Jimmy G led the comeback versus the Rams, but has been averaged the last couple of games. He threw a couple of picks last week, was sacked six times, and earlier this season was taken down five times by the Seahawks. Now he'll try to find holes in a passing defense, ranked sixth from the bottom. With season-ending injuries to running backs Chris Carson and CJ Procise, the Seahawks have signed former Hawk Marshawn Lynch. But his contribution will depend on how quickly he can get up to speed with the playbook. But the bigger loss to this team is Dwayne Brown, as Russell Wilson was sacked five times and hit seven times last week. And with an inexperienced line, he could be in for a long day as the Niners recorded five sacks on Wilson back in week 11. The defense also on the limp as three starters are expected to miss this one. Now while holding Arizona to just 167 passing yards, Seattle got torched by the ground game, giving up 253 yards, the most since 2010. And now they face a San Fran side number two in the NFL when it comes to rushing. The Seahawks are a three-point underdog, but have not lost to San Fran at home in eight years.
The Camping World Bowl from Orlando, Notre Dame and Iowa State. Abbotsford's Chase Claypool with a breakout season at wide receiver for the Irish, and he had himself a day in his final college game. First quarter, Ian Book, the Notre Dame quarterback, going to his favorite target. That would be Chase Claypool. Leaping grab, gets a foot down. It's a touchdown. His 13th TD of the season. That style of catch there is kind of his signature play. He was outstanding today, 10-0 Irish with the lead. Second quarter, Book is going deep. Again and again, it's Claypool makes the catch, reaches for the goal line, originally called a touchdown, but after review they said his knee was down just short of the goal line. The Irish did punch it in anyway. Claypool had a monster first half and he wasn't done. Third and 11, quick hitch pass and Claypool does the rest, bullying his way for a 21-yard gain. Claypool, seven catches, 146 yards and a touchdown. The Irish won 33-9 and Claypool won the game MVP expected to perhaps be as high as a second-round pick in the NFL draft. NBA tonight, Raptors and Celtics from Boston. The Celtics beat the Raps in Toronto easily on Christmas Day. Different story today, Kyle Lowry feeding the Canadian. Chris Boucher of Montreal throws it down, 36-25 Raptors after one. Second quarter, Lowry driving, it won't go, but the rookie O'Shea Brissett with the follow jam. Brissett with uh, some minutes today because, of course, the Raptors still without Siakam, Gasol, and Powell. Third quarter in transition. Lowry hits the three, 70-58. Late third, Fred Van Vliet, no good, but there's Brissett with great hustle. Back to Freddie, and he knocks this one down, 89-79 after three. And in the fourth, Lowry took over. Knocks down this three to make it 101-86. And then later on, he does it again. 30 points to lead the way. The Raptors, very impressive with an undermanned lineup, beat the second-ranked Celtics 113-97. All right, we've got some soccer for you. EPL, Leicester City in second place at West Ham. Late first half, great hustle by Ozzy Perez to keep the ball alive. Heads it back to Kalechi Iannaccio, who nods it in. 1-0 Foxes, now tied in the 56th. Damari Gray will score the game-winner. Leicester City snap a two-game losing skid, 2-1 over West Ham. Spurs and Norwich City, Tottenham down a goal, but a spark. Sparkling free kick here from Christian Eriksen, smashes it over the wall, ties at 1-1. Now after Norwich took the lead, Tottenham awarded a penalty. Harry Kane, of course, will take it, and he knocks it in. Spurs are sixth with 30 points. Now that gave Manchester United a chance to jump past Spurs into fifth. United playing at Burnley, late first half. Burnley with the giveaway and United jump on it. Anthony Martial will finish beautifully here to make it 1-0 at halftime. And then in stoppage time, Marcus Rashford will take it around the keeper. And as he's going down, will just tap it in with his toe. Man United jump into fifth after the 2-0 victory at Burnley. There you go. Nice. Thank you very much, sir. You got it. Here's a look at your snow report. Whistler Black, home a base of 95 centimeters. 120 for Grouse and Sasquatch, 155. Manning Park, a base of 135. Fernie with four new centimeters and a base of 139. Big White, a base of 151. Silver Star, 149. And 108 for Apex. Mount Washington, a base of 64. Red Mountain, 95. Powder King, five new centimeters and a base of 205. For those of you who drink alcohol, on average, I looked at him. <laughs> <Why do> you? <laughs>
Oh, no. Watch for Yvonne. Yvonne's sneaky the way she she has. I've golfed with her. (laughs) On average, most will have around four and a half drinks while celebrating this New Year's Eve. That's quite a bit. But some, of course, will have much, much more than that. Now, that kind of over-imbibing has inspired a new museum in Croatia dedicated entirely to the hangover. To a night the four of us will never forget. The nights we hope we'll never forget can often turn into the mornings we don't ever want to remember. Am I missing a tooth? Oh. For anyone who's ever gotten too tipsy, been three sheets to the wind, or had a drop too much, and paid the price the next day, you're not alone. Welcome to the world's first Museum of Hangovers, which opened this month in Zagreb, Croatia. Co-founder Rino Dubokovic says the idea was born from a conversation among friends about drinking at parties. A friend spoke about how he woke up with a bicycle pedal in his pocket, and I thought, as I listened to him, why not set up a place, a museum, with the collection of these objects and stories that will illustrate, in a funny way, these evenings of drunkenness and the hangover the next day. The museum is laid out like a boozy walk home, with rooms resembling a street, storefronts, a park, and finally a bedroom where you can piece your journey together. Along the way are stories of drunken escapades from around the world. Guests begin their visit by wearing goggles that simulate drunkenness. They're invited to throw a dart. Bullseye means no admission charge. They can also share their own stories by finishing the phrase, I woke up with. Entries that we can show you include no money, two stray dogs, and a lot of pumpkins. But critics of the museum say it doesn't take the dangers of drinking seriously. It's fine to drink in moderation, but that's not what this museum is about. Psychiatrist Dr. Gail Saltz is concerned the museum glamorizes over drinking. It makes it look appealing. It makes it look like it's fun and hilarious. And for young people especially, that's going to be a big draw. The founders hope to expand the museum and include the downfall of drinking, but for now, visitors will only have their own experiences to serve as a warning. I am very impressed, but also very horrified because it brings back very bad memories. <laughs> or good memories at the same time. <laughs> for CBS This Morning Saturday, Roxana Saberi, London. Have to be a bit of a downer, but I have to agree with that woman. I don't, I don't think we need to glorify alcohol in oh, our culture. I think culture. we're having fun. We've all been there. You know, as long as it's, uh, you know, and all the anchors of Global have been told to whisper on January 1st as well. Arrange for a drive home. That's all I'm going to say. Yes, exactly. Thanks for joining us.